want to communicate with us, maybe even interrupt our thinking, interrupt our lives, but always for our good, we trust in you. So use this time for our good, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not long ago, while visiting someone's home, I noticed something on their kitchen door. Uh, the kitchen door frame that caught my attention. Running up and down one side, uh, you could see faded but still visible markings. Was it pencil? Was it ink? It wasn't clear. But they were little notches and even names, it seemed, of children that grew up in that home. Also, little numbers by the names recording, it seemed, their heights, the dates of their measurements. Apparently, the contractor who had renovated the some hundred-year-old home decided to preserve that little piece of personal history over the years, this mini-monument to the growth of the children of that home. Seeing this, it reminded me of my own childhood. I don't know if you did the same, your parents for you, but we did alongside my mom's closet door, measuring our growth with little pencil notches, our names, dates, seeing and celebrating how we would grow. You know, because growing, of course, is a thing to celebrate. Even last night, my daughter, in the midst of the bangs and the booms of the fireworks, took appropriate pride in how scared she was last year because of the loud fireworks and how much less so this year, noting her progress. Of course, not all kinds of growth warrant celebration, not all kinds of growth is good. Cancer is a form of growing in the wrong places and in the wrong ways. The weeds that are right now overtaking my yard is also a kind of growth that we wish and work against. So, of course, there are lots of dimensions to growth, physical growth, personal development. And this is no less the case when it comes to spiritual growth, which is the focus of today's passage. Paul is talking about growing, growing spiritually. The Philippians are told to work out your salvation in verse 12. To, to think and process how the good news of Jesus influences and impacts every part of life. And in verse 17, the Apostle Paul describes spiritual growth as the sacrifice and the service coming from your faith. That as you learn to trust in the person of Jesus more and more, that makes you a person of greater service and greater sacrifice. It changes how you devote yourself to other people and even to this world. It's also being presented, this spiritual growth, in the language of obedience to Christ. In verse 12, the Apostle writes, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, continue on. 
Which reminds us, of course, that growing spiritually is not only vital, we must do it, but also personal and relational. It's, it's growing not just in general or in principle or in the abstract, but growing in our following of our Master, our Lord, the one who gave up all power and surrendered all privilege as we studied last week in order to save us. And the reason why the Apostle Paul addresses this topic at this point in the letter, of course, is because he's just called the people to an inordinate amount of change. He's called upon them in chapter 1 and the first, chapter, first half of chapter 2 of this letter to unity and solidarity. We've been looking at this over the past couple of weeks. In the face of opposition, Paul has said, stand firm and stand together. That's not easy, he acknowledges, because solidarity requires humility, putting others first, disadvantaging yourself for the advantage of others in love. Just like Jesus himself loved by humbling himself. So Paul says, be like him, have his attitude, his heart, his life. After all, because in the Christian vision, growing spiritually is always about becoming more and more like Jesus. So we arrive here now in verse 12. Paul starts this section with the transitional, therefore, as he tells us, well, this is what you need to now do in response. How do you grow in that sort of humility, in that sort of Christ-likeness? How do you move towards this sort of solidarity? How do you grow in this way? There's lots that could be said from Scripture about spiritual growth. This passage tells us a few things that we're going to look at briefly. First, that spiritual growth is inward, but also secondly, that spiritual growth is outward. And thirdly, that spiritual growth takes work. It's inward, it's outward, it's work. Let's take a look at each of those in turn. First of all, Paul tells us, God's word tells us, that spiritual growth is inward. You might notice that growing spiritually as this passage, as the whole of the Bible tells us, it's both an inward thing as well as an outward thing. Even in verse 13, we're told that in growing, it's God who works in you to will and to act. That is, to desire and to do. It's an inside your heart thing and it's a changing in how you live your life thing at the same time. It touches both the inward person as well as the outer person. And I start by noting this because a lot of Christian spiritualities can tend to focus only on one or the other. 
only attention given to the way in which I grow inwardly, my faith in Jesus, my theological knowledge, the way in which I'm engaging with myself, whether or not I love God and know God, and those things are critical. Of course, the inward life. And yet not if it is devoid of any attention given to the external. After all, the Bible says, Paul himself in another letter, that the only thing that counts is faith working itself out in love. Whereas the Apostle James puts it, faith without deeds is dead. Of course, you have the reverse problem in many other cases as well. Attention only given to the external, how you live with no care and concern given to the inward life. Go change the world for Jesus. Go work hard. Engage in the mission of the kingdom of God. Yes, but not to the detriment to or the neglect of your own inward life. Spiritual growth is both inward and outward. Here, Paul first directs our attention to the interior life, to our inward growth. And he does this especially by emphasizing the importance of character. He's done this already, of course, in verses 1 through 11 when he stressed the importance of growing in Christ-like humility. Again, disadvantaging yourself for the advantage of others. But here now in verse 14, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. This tall task of not only watching how things get expressed from our mouths, but also watching the attitudes of our hearts. Do nothing without, I mean, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I mean, would you friends dare to try to fall in line with this call this week? If you were to take it seriously, but for a week, maybe even for a day, it will bring you to your knees, hungry for the grace of God. To try to spend one week without grumbling, without arguing, and this word arguing can also be translated questioning. It's not just angry verbal exchange. It's also a heart that's arguing with people, even when you're not saying a word. That's my heart. So often, too often, is it yours? It's actually language taken from the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 31 and 32, which points out to us again and again that the problem with a grumbling heart, an arguing, questioning heart, is not just the injury that it does with our words towards other people, Deep inside, it arises out of ingratitude. Your glass half empty because you only see what's wrong. You have no thanks for the things that God has, in fact, blessed you with. It's a denial of grace and of the goodness of God. In fact, it's also pride, you know. Pride at the root of a critical heart. Because you're assuming that I see all things and I have the right to judge everything knowing how they truly are. 
There's good news, of course. Help that Paul gives us here as he relates this grumbling and arguing in the next clause right away, closely relating it to our being children of God. You see, grumbling and arguing and questioning and complaining is actually a form of spiritual orphanhood. Acting as if you don't have a heavenly father. See, if you're struggling with grumbling against God or against other people, this perhaps is what you can do. Remind yourselves multiple times a day, I have a heavenly father and I am his child. He's watching over me. He is providing for me. He shelters me and gives me refuge. He gives me only good gifts even when I have no idea what the gift is. I can trust in him. I can walk with him holding my right hand even when I can't see what is before me. Dear friends, dear grumbling and arguing friends, in Jesus you have a father. And as we live out of this identity as children of God, here the Apostle points us to growing inwardly in our character. Do you look at yourself in that way? Do you give attention to this kind of growth? One way to check your heart, check your life, check your patterns of growth is how do you pray? To ask yourself, how do I pray? Most of us are in the good habit of praying only for a change of circumstances. God, this hurts. Make it go away. God, this is hard. Make it stop. Make it easier. Those aren't bad things to long for and to pray for. Children pray like that to a father, and God answers those prayers. But if spiritual growth is also inward, lying in the area of character... What if we were to grow in praying, not just about a change of circumstances, but about how we handle those hard circumstances? Have you prayed lately, not just, God, make that irritating, hard, painful thing go away, but God, give me a heart that doesn't grumble or complain before you. Give me a humble heart that I might, in the words of the New Testament, suffer righteously. Have you prayed that lately, dear children of God? And in fact, here the apostle gives us an interesting link, yes, between internal spiritual growth as well as the external kind of spiritual growth, this link that's actually really fascinating. Where he says here, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine. That in fact, one of the ways that you will most impact the world, one of the ways in which you will most have a ministry to the world around you, even change the world, is by paying attention to the character within. Not just running out the door to change things with your hands, 
but to first let God and the gospel change things in your heart. Because, oh, can you think about the revolution that just might get ignited to a person in a community that has learned not to grumble, but rather with humble hearts to be agents of love in a world that so deeply needs the grace of God. Which brings us to the second point that spiritual growth is not only inward, but outward. Paul talks about the importance, yes, of being a public witness in the world, using this metaphor of being a light that's shining in darkness. Again, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. You are children of God in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. That yes, as you grow and become more like Jesus, that yes, as you grow in your faith and in your knowledge of the grace of God, yes, as you become more humble, being humbled yourself by the humility of Christ, his gospel cross love for you, that you begin to shine like stars in darkness, thereby pointing all people to the light of the world, Jesus Christ himself. That as your light shines, that people might see his light shining through you and be drawn to you for the light of life. But you see what this is calling you to. It's a call to be a little bit different, sometimes a little bit weird. <laughs> Holy weirdness, as it were, because the point here is the light doesn't shine unless it's different from the darkness. It's a call to be strangers in this world. Holy. Not only just in terms of morality, but people that live the strangeness of non-grumbling lives. The strangeness of non-complaining hearts in the workplace and in the home and on your neighborhood blocks. The strangeness of the strange love of Jesus, who did not hold on to power and privilege, but gave it all up to make himself a servant of all. How strange, not least in a town like ours. The strangeness of radical grace, conspicuously forgiving, yes, those who do not deserve forgiveness. The strangeness of refusing to judge and evaluate people according to their performance or their status, according to their riches, according to their talents, but loving them simply because they bear the dignity of being one made in the image of God, or if they're in Christ, the dignity and joy of being a brother and sister of Christ, in Christ. 
The strangeness of putting others first. The strangeness of dying that others might live. This is gospel love. This is strange love. This is what it means to be a light that shines in the darkness of self-centeredness. In the darkness of a world that is ignorant of the power of God's grace and his truth, even both. Do you hear this calling to stand out by being more and more like Jesus. Not just for its own sake of being provocative, but also not being afraid to be a little bit strange. The weirdness of your witness as a light shining in this world. This, of course, is possible by the grace of God, but only possible, as we're told in verse 16, as you hold firmly to the word of life. Spiritual growth is inward. Spiritual growth is outward, oriented to the world around us. It's also, thirdly, spiritual growth is simply work. So you say, how do we grow in this way? How do we grow in all the ways that Paul points us and tells us we are to grow and that we will grow? He says, we'll make sure it's clear. It is this. It is more than this. But it is this. It is work. Verse 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according in order to fulfill his good purpose. Work out your salvation. Take the fullness of the grace of God. Take the life of Christ given to you. Take the story of his grand salvation of rescuing love for sinners like you and me. Take the narrative of God's reconciliation with you, a former enemy of his now, not only forgiven, but made a child. Having the honor of being seated at the table of the king, bearing the glory of the family of God. Take that story, that reality, and now live it out with all kinds of implications for life in this world. Work out your salvation, a growing that takes effort. It doesn't happen by accident. If you want to see transformation in your life, in your character, in your faith, it'll take effort. And ensuring that your thinking is transformed and conformed to the Word of God. Letting God tell you how to think. And the way that you strive to let God and the Gospel impact even your desires to fight unhealthy desires and to shape your new desires around God's desires. To resolve to follow the law of love. Like Daniel, to put it into your heart 
to resolve not to disobey the Lord. To even take on the language of fighting for faith in life. It takes effort to put off, even to crucify and kill the misdeeds of the flesh. And to fight to put on the things of Christ. To believe against unbelief. To say no to the lies of the enemy. And to say yes to the promises of God. Because it takes work to grow. And someone says, well, what about grace? Isn't the grace of God the story of all these things coming to us for free? And here's where I think the teacher and author Dallas Willard is helpful in his succinct little line when he says, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. The story of the salvation of Jesus is that you do not and you cannot earn the favor of God. But that does not mean that there is no effort needed to be put into living out of and living in light of that favor which is yours by grace as a gift in Christ for free. And so we work and we labor not working for our salvation or working up salvation, but working it out, as theologian Sinclair Ferguson put it, to make sure that its influence and implications permeate the whole of our lives. So what do you need to take to the gym? What do you need to work out? Where are you not putting in effort where in fact you need to work the power and implications of a new life in Christ out into the details of your relationships, your callings as a worker, as a parent, as a child, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a citizen. Go down the list. Where have you been lagging, not applying, not resolved, not fighting, not loving Jesus in a way that makes you work. And here the apostle, of course, tells us to do so, work out your salvation with what? With fear and trembling, which itself is an invitation to grace that we might strive with all our might and growing spiritually, not with a pompous or self-sufficient attitude. I've got this all figured out. I'm going to do fine. Don't worry about me. No. But with a sense of awe. With a sense of even our sin and temptation having great power before us, but more than that, of awe that our God has even greater power before us. The power of God working in us, giving us a sense of dependency as you strive with all your might to become more like Jesus, giving you a sense of personal weakness. I can't accomplish this just by trying harder alone. To, yes, put in effort and to work out your salvation, but with deep acknowledgement that this is impossible. Impossible 
without the grace of God. Which takes us to the great promise of a different kind of working. Spiritual growth takes work, yes, on our part, but the good news is, ultimately, what it requires is work on God's part, on your behalf, in you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? What gives you motivation? What gives you power? What gives you hope? To struggle with all your might, to resolve, to fight against sin, to fight for faith, to fight to love, to strive and put in effort to become more like Jesus. It's this for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose in your life and in this world. Friends, do you know God is at work in you? I know for some of you, you feel so devoid of spiritual power. Or you feel like you're just losing in this battle against an area of vice or sin or temptation. Or you feel like I've been chipping away at this part of my character. Or I've been trying to transform the way I'm thinking because I know I've been believing lies about who I am in Christ. Hear this good news. It is God who works in you. Giving you the inward desire and the outward behaviors. Working in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is active in your life in the world. God never sleeps, he never forgets, never gets frustrated. We're told he does his working in us, changing us from within in order to fulfill his good purpose, which means the outcome is guaranteed. God in your life never fails. His working is always affected. Yes, sin and selfishness corrupts our power to choose, our power to accomplish what we want to choose. We're weak and powerless before the power of our broken souls. Either we don't want to do the right thing, or even if we want to do the right thing, we don't do it. Here's a God who recreates our desires from within. And a God who creates and empowers our actions from without. Here is a God who does it not just because he can, but because he wants to freely by his grace. You see, this last phrase can be translated not only to fulfill his good purpose, but also to fulfill his good pleasure. He wants to work on your behalf, dear friends. It's his delight to make you more like his son. This is good news, of course, because if God were to work only when he thinks we're going to respond well, we would have no hope. Or if God were to work only where there's evidence of progress, 
or only when there's promises to resolve or only when there's a river of tears if he were to wait on us to work in our lives there would never be grounds for him to work but here's the story of grace even in our spiritual growth God's commitment to our growth is grounded not in me but in him his resolve, his pleasure and delight in his children, his commitment to make good on his promises to us through the blood of his son. He's gonna change you, like it or not, if you are in Christ. Hallelujah. Which is good news for us who dare to strive and try, whether if it's to strive against a grumbling heart or to turn inside out a selfish heart, whether if it's to put our hands and our lives and our work to good use for the sake of God's kingdom, to have this assurance that it's not all on you. To believe that your spiritual growth depends only upon yourself alone, will always result in paralysis. I'm scared to make a mistake, I'm just overwhelmed. Or pride, if I think I'm doing well, looking down on other people that aren't measuring up to you. Or petering out because I'm just exhausted by carrying this weight of my own change on my back. And yet neither is there this false understanding that it's all on God without requiring any work on my part which breeds spiritual passivity or fatalism doesn't matter what I do God will change me but no God's grace and sovereignty does not violate a Christian's responsibility rather it frees and empowers the Christian to become more like Christ in a mysterious dance, as it were, between us and God. Our work and his work, guided by the supernatural choreography of the Holy Spirit. God is working in you, so work it out. And work with all your might and see God change you and produce growth in you, both your inner self as well as your outer self, in the deepest places of the character of your hearts, the desires of your souls, as well as the mission of your life as you engage the people in the world around you for the sake of the kingdom of God. Work out your salvation, dear friends, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you for his purposes, for your joy, for his pleasure. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would make good on all your promises here and that you would help us to grow. We want to grow. We long to be more like Jesus. We want to increase in our faith. 
We want to be more humble like Christ. We want to be more serviceable to you and your purposes in this neighborhood, in this city. We want to be more loving. We want to get over our grumbling and our self-centeredness, always putting ourselves before other people, even before you. Do a powerful work in our lives. Do it by the power of your spirit. Do it by the power of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. Sing. I say that all the time.